This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hello and welcome to Any Answers. Today I'm looking for your thoughts on how to repair the planet. Cambridge University is looking at some radical approaches. Is that what we need? And what are you doing? Pro-Remain candidates have so far failed to come up with an alliance for the Euro elections. Is that going to open the door to Nigel Farage? And freedom of expression at academic institutions. What are your views on no platforming? Do please call us on 03700 100 444 or email any.answers at bbc.co.uk. Now, we've had an awful lot of uh, interest in the question about whether or not we would abolish, we should abolish private schools, uh, the idea being that it would improve uh, social uh, availability. Now, so I'd like to go first of all, if I could, to Mike Buchanan in Kent. Mike, what do you think about the idea of, uh, of abolishing private schools? Uh, well, I'm uh, opposed to the idea. I think removing private schools won't solve uh, social inequality uh, in the UK. Uh, and indeed, it will just place a greater burden on the state as you know, uh, thousands of uh, youngsters uh, currently educated in those schools uh, go into the state system. Which well, why do you can- say that you think it wouldn't improve mobility? Well, I think we use private schools as a proxy for affluence and privilege. The fact, the fact is that there are more affluent and privileged people with their children in state schools than there are in private schools. The private schools are a relatively small percentage of the population. Mm. Uh, they're, they're about 7% of the population. Well, on average, yeah, it, it varies according to age, age group and, and where you are in the country, yeah. No, but, but, you're yeah, actually the, a chair of governors. Numbers, but, yeah, the schools that, the schools that uh, I represent uh, as the uh, chief or the executive director of HMC, number 250, the 25,000... Just tell us what schools. HMC is. H- school, uh, HMC is the, the head association for the independent schools in the UK and, and around the world. Um, and I say there, there are 250 schools that I represent. There are 25,000 state schools in England. It's a tiny proportion. Uh, and so, and so, you don't think that actually social mobility could be increased by the, uh, if we if we didn't have any private schools and everybody was in a comprehensive school system, that wouldn't level the playing field, in your opinion? Uh, I don't think uh, that's the solution. Uh, you know, the, the social mobility is a complex thing, and clearly, we need to improve social equity uh, and provide great opportunities for all young children. Um, but you know, tearing down something which is world class is recognised as being world class uh, is just a crazy way of going about it. Forty percent of Oxbridge offers still go to private school students, so lots of people would look at that and think, well, actually, they are getting a big advantage there because if only seven percent of of pupils in the UK go to private schools and yet forty percent of Oxbridge offers go to those students, there is an inequality there, isn't there? Well, and, we, and uh, indeed, and we recognise it, and, and we need to do something about making sure that capable youngsters, whatever their background, have opportunities to go to the most selective universities in the UK and around the world, uh, and I absolutely support that. Uh, but as I say, uh, 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 tearing down something which is demonstrably excellent isn't the way of going about it. There are plenty of ways of increasing access and participation in higher education and the universities themselves are doing a lot, uh, and we support all of those efforts uh, 
use of sensible and sophisticated measures of contextual uh, contextual offers. All of that is very sensible, and we support it. We want more of the best to go to the best universities, uh, and there's no problem about that. There is plenty of space for everyone. Mike, just one more question. Labour would like to uh, put VAT on school fees. I'm imagining that you are highly against that. Well, uh, against it on on a number of uh, uh, levels. The first is that it's you know it's based on dodgy maths. The, that actually it will cost the exchequer more uh, by doing that than, than actually they gain. Uh, we, um, we, es- we estimate roughly £10,000 per pupil. Uh, and, and that's because, you know, uh, at the moment, uh, you know, the number of kids in independent schools saves the exchequer about £3.5 billion a year. The schools themselves pay uh, uh, taxes with, uh, and other economic activity worth about £4 billion a year. They employ 300,000 people uh, across the uh, the UK, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't... Sorry, but your up. reasoning is simply that if there was VAT on school fees, people couldn't pay them, therefore they'd have to pull their children out of out of private school. Is that your thinking? Well, uh, you know, a, a, a simple calculation would show uh, somebody that, uh, that the net gain is negative. Uh, and actually, um, uh, it, it would just, it would just uh, put a greater burden on already cash-strapped state schools. Where, where are these places going to come from uh, and who's going to pay for them in the state sector? OK, Mike, thank you very much indeed for your views. I'd like to go now to, to Derbyshire and to Linda Knox. Uh, Linda, you taught uh, for a time before, when you, just after you left university, I believe. Yes, and, yes, I did. And are you in favour of, of comprehensives rather than private schools? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm in favour of equality of opportunity ultimately. And I used to think the fair way would be to abolish private schools. And I did think when a Labour government became established, that's what they would do in my naivety. But I have changed rather now. And I think the best thing to do would be to reverse the proportions at Oxbridge. So that if you've got about 7% of children being privately educated in Britain, then 7% of Oxbridge students should be uh, privately educated children and the rest should be from state schools. And, and, and Linda, they should be required to do that. And Linda, what would you say to the argument that uh, Oxbridge should simply bring children in on the basis of meritocracy on how good their GCSEs and their A-levels are, regardless of where they went to school, and it is not the university's job to socially engineer? Because um, I do believe there's a huge gulf in education from comprehensive schools to independent education and that they get an infinitely better education, even though Ultimately, they're not necessarily that much better, but that because of the education they get, it gives them such a greater chance to get into Oxbridge. So Oxbridge should simply look at a a child who's got excellent GCSEs and and excellent A-levels at a private school and say, OK, we're not going to take you. We're going to take somebody whose results are not as good because we know that they didn't get as good an education at a state school. I mean, one, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening at home are thinking, why on earth can't we just make our state schools excellent so that everyone's competing on a really good playing field? Because we could never afford it. 
there's no way we could ever afford it. So you think that really it's up to the universities to make sure that they give... I think it's up to the government to say to them to make things more equal, that's what you must do. I know it's only a dream, but in my opinion, that's the only thing that would make things equal. Okay, Linda, thank you very much indeed for that. We're getting lots of texts and tweets coming in on this. Uh, Why on earth, uh, I'm hearing here, says, would you abolish private schools? Parents pay twice for their children's education, once through taxes and then again through school fees. And they also reduce the burden on state schools. Another tweet here, rich people can afford a better education than non-rich people for their children. Children already have an advantage and get further advantages. How is this fair? All children should have the same opportunities. Well, I'd like to go now to uh, Harrison McQueen from Kent. Harrison, are you still at school? I think you are. I am, yeah. I go to a local comprehensive. Great. Well, tell me, what do you think, as you're in this system at the moment, what do you think of the state school system that you're in? So, obviously, everyone's going to have problems with their education system. What I have a problem with is that all the blame is placed on independent schools and it's simply not fair that these people get a better education in most cases and, for example, people like me won't get as good grades just because they pay more money. What I do have a problem with is why our schools aren't as good in a lot of cases. Why? I mean, the previous caller said like they're not funded enough, mm. but why can we not work a way in which both can exist? Because if you look at the economics of the situation, uh, as the previous caller Mike said, um, taxpayer so independent schools contribute 3.5 billion uh, every year uh, in taxpayer savings uh, in the state system, and they educate more than 500,000 pupils. So that not only takes away uh, the burden of those pupils, but also saves them a lot more money. And in that case, uh, they've got a lot more money to spend. And uh, there was a, a report in 2018 that said um, that the schools contribute 13.7 billion to the economy uh, and support more than 300,000 jobs, which is entirely, um, well, entirely helpful for the economy that we're in. I do have a problem with it being a very binary. Just because you go to an independent school, you're going to do better. Just because I go to a state school, I'm naturally going to do worse. And I think it's more. If we can encourage students to do better, if we can encourage students to apply more uh, to Oxbridge, for example, or the top universities, then that's where the social mobility lies. For example, 18% of um, pupils taking A-levels are from private schools. 34% of Oxbridge applicants are from private school. And then 42% of Oxbridge places go to private school pupils. Naturally, if we make that 34% of Oxbridge applicants from private schools lower, by more state school pupils applying to Oxbridge, then there's naturally going to be more state school uh, pupils in Oxbridge, I would assume. And I think it's... Yes, sorry. Harrison, no, you're making a very persuasive argument. Are you about to set your A-levels yourself? Yeah, I am. I'm in year 13 now, um, Mm. but I'm taking a gap year and I will be applying to Oxford hopefully next year. Well, Um, Harrison, the very best of luck with that. You've certainly got all your facts to hand, so very good luck and thank you very much indeed for your call. Uh, I'd like to go now to uh, to Steve Loudon, who is in Bath in Somerset. Uh, Steve, you went to private school and you think that it made you into a socialist. Uh, yes. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> and an anti-authoritarian. 
um, yeah, I was a, a, a bit of a rebel, shall we say. And what do you think? Should should private schools be abolished? Uh, possibly. Um, I, this is always such a complicated issue. I mean, first, uh, firstly, uh, my father was in the forces, so they needed to board me because yeah. um, he was travelling from one place to another every couple of years. So it was better for my education that I boarded and stayed in one place, which I, I agree with. However, um, I, I think it's such a shame that uh, the state system is so short of money um, if the the abolition of private schools meant that the state system could have more money and therefore have uh, a better, a more efficient system, then yes, I'd be absolutely in favour of abolishing private schools. Um, uh, there, are, I'm, of course, obviously I'm generalising, but um, it seems to me that there is a and I'm not, nothing against teachers, they're brilliant. I wouldn't do their job for all the tea in China or <laughs> India or anywhere. Um, but they struggle so much in the state system. Is they, they seem to be, they seem to be, um, uh, I can't think of the word, uh, but they seem to be collared by the system. Whereas independent school, I don't understand why independent schools seem to produce more rounded education. Um, why can't the state system uh, be like that? OK, well, um, Steve, thank you very much indeed for telling us your views here. We've got uh, quite a lot of other calls and uh, and tweets coming in, so I want to get through as many as I can. Uh, we've got a Twitter, uh, on the Twitter feed here, abolishing private schools just adds thousands more kids into the state school system, which is struggling enough as it is. Going to a private school doesn't guarantee you anything. Quite a lot of thoughts along those lines. Um, and uh, Clarissa Rose says, State schools should be good enough so that nobody feels the need to send their children to private schools. Uh, Katie Rebecca has tweeted us to say that state schools are currently understaffed, underfunded and the class sizes are bulging. If you had the ability to pay for a good quality education, I don't understand why anybody thinks that that is wrong. Well, I'd like to go uh, for one, to one last caller on this, and that's Jennifer Talbot in Surrey. Uh, Jennifer, you taught, I think, in both the private and the state yes, sector. Yes, I have, yeah. And do you notice a difference? We were talking a lot here about funding. Do you notice a big difference between the two in terms of funding? Oh, massive difference. Yeah, no comparison. And so do children get a better education? I know I'm generalising wildly yeah, well, here, but well, in private schools... what they schools, get in a private system, I would say, is uh, discipline, an ordered classroom and teachers in the state system are under so much pressure that it's practically impossible for them to do all the tasks assigned to them. You've got smaller classes in the private system, you've got better discipline and you've got masses of sport. But this is a generalisation, isn't it? Because there are some excellent state schools and plenty of children there that do very well through the state, state system. Yeah, well, that's my next point. In those excellent state schools, you'll generally find that the house prices are very high in the catchment area. So wealthy people move into those areas. Yes, there are some excellent state schools. I'm talking about the majority of state schools, the teachers are under enormous pressure. But you will get wealthy people still paying in a different kind of way for the education in the state system because of the house prices. I personally know people who have moved. And I also want to say that private schools 
do offer massive bursaries and they take children in whose parents are actually on benefits. And nobody is promoting this as uh, advocating this for private schools. They do do charitable work. Indeed, that's a very good point. So do you think that they should pay VAT on school fees? I don't, because if they lose their charitable status, I would assume that they won't be able to take in poorer children. Jennifer, thank you very much indeed for making those points. Thank you very much for calling in today. I'm going to move on to to Brexit because uh, the Euro elections will be on us before we know it, I'm sure. Um, And voting looks set to be polarised by the issue of Brexit, with their pro-Remain parties calling for a second referendum. I'd like to go now uh, to Joan Langrick, who's in Maidstone. Joan, you voted to leave, I gather. I originally voted to leave, and the reason was we we really were being fed a lot of lies. Um, I'm not talking about straight bananas, I'm talking about the laws which have, you know, they, they said they'd brought in and all this sort of stuff. And then later on, when I realised what was happening, I then, of course, voted um, to stay. And I want to really stress the point that Nigel Farage is no different from Theresa May. He says Brexit, she says Brexit means Brexit. He is just talking Brexit all the time. He has no manifesto. Theresa May has dumped hers. There is also, of course, the um, they haven't referred at all, either of them, to the suffering of the country in terms of the homelessness, the austerity and all things like that. And they're all playing their cards, both of them playing their cards close to their chest. OK, Joan, I would like to, uh, if you could just stay on the line, please. I'd like to bring in Roy Morris, who's in uh, in Sheffield. Uh, Roy, I, I gather that you also voted to leave, but, but you haven't changed your mind. No, I have changed my mind. OK, can, continue. Tell me why. Yeah, well, uh, because I, I, I think, because what, what they talked about before the vote is totally different from what they're talking about now. Um, I mean, Nigel Farage said several times, uh, he kept saying Norway was a great example of a country that is out of the European Union, but which is independent and doing, and doing fine. Um, Boris Johnson talked about, uh, said nobody's talking about uh, getting rid of, um, of, of the customs union. Nobody's talking about leaving the customs union. And yet now, when they've found that the negotiating in those positions are difficult, the whole, all the Brexit movement has gone towards leaving with no deal and getting out. And uh, I think it's, it's wrong. I mean, you know, we have the right to change our minds. We, they didn't know what they were talking about and we didn't know what they were talking about. So you now think that we ought to have a second referendum? Oh, yes, definitely, yeah. OK, well, I'd like to go back to, to, to you, Joan. Um, do you feel now that we, you, you simply weren't given enough facts to make a decision we at the time? We weren't given enough facts. There was a whole lot of lies going on. And also, you see, with both Farage and Theresa May, they're basically a one-man band, although she has the, um, uh, the cabinet well, A one-woman band in her case. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so what, what has happened in point of fact? Labour the only ones. They say they can't understand Labour. But Labour are the only ones who are saying... Okay, it was democratically, you know, put there that we must leave. So Jeremy Corbyn is doing his thing with there. But he's also said if we can't get a deal, we'll try for a general election. If we can't get a general election, 
then of course we'll go for a second ref- referendum. Well, okay. all, all these things have been passed by the Assembly. Well, I would like to now hear from uh, from Ray Seymour in Bedford. Uh, Ray, you also voted Leave in in the elections, uh, or sorry, in the referendum rather. Um, what do you think about a second referendum? I'm not in favour of a second referendum. Uh, We have not actually left the EU yet, and until such time as we have, nobody really knows what's there. And so we've got to come out of the EU, and when we've done that, give it 10 or 20 years, then we can take a look and see how we stand. Listen, did did you hear, you you heard the the previous two callers there, you heard what what Joan and Roy said, that when they voted to leave, they didn't actually have enough facts. There's plenty of facts. um, But that's not what they think, though. They 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 both said they didn't. Well, a politician's tell lies. It comes with the power of the course. um, It's in the job description. And lies were told on both sides of the fence. I thought it was very clear. The question was in or out, and I gave my answer to that one, which was out. But do, do we know what we were voting for? Yes. We were told beforehand that sovereignty was one of the things, same way as the ability, the ability to construct trade deals with the, rest of the country, with the rest of the world. That was one of the major things as well. If we're in a customs union or a single market, we can't do that. Our hands are tied. So we need to be out. Likewise, we don't want to be subject to the laws or judiciary of the EU. Um, If we make a trade deal with the EU before or after leaving um, the EU, then we need to have independent international arbitration through the WTO or anywhere else not to be subject to the European Court of Justice or the European Parliament. Okay, I'd like Likewise, to see if... they wouldn't agree to being subject to our Supreme Court, would they? Well, or Ray, could, just, if, if, just, just hold it there for a second. I'd like to see if I can bring Roy Morris back in because, uh, Roy, you do think that you didn't have enough information and, in fact, that you would vote another uh, vote in a, in a second referendum a different way. What do you say to, to Ray Seymour and his point of view? Well, he... The world's totally changed. I mean, I voted, I voted to leave in 1975 as well. But the world has changed since w- w- what it was like then. And you now have to be part of something big to have any influence at all in the world. And I, to be honest, I'd, even though I, I, I was, I was, I wanted to into some. I think there's a lot of problems with the EU. I think we're better off in an organisation which is 27 members that are more or less the same size as us, rather than being at the the, the will and beck and, uh, and call of, uh, of America and Donald Trump. I mean, if, if, we, if we do go through with Brexit, America will take us apart. They will destroy our NHS. They will privatise. They will take over all sorts of private contracts. They will sell us drugs that we've negotiated a cheap price for. They will sell them much more expensively um, because we'll be small. We're sure we're the fifth, fifth biggest economy, but we're still pretty small and we haven't got a lot to bargain with. We used to have a lot of industry, a lot. we used to produce a lot of things that the world wanted, but we've had 40 years of governments that just have not bothered about manufacturing. They thought we could get by with finance and services. And we've, we've now got a, a, probably about a, a tenth of what we make our money on is, is manufacturing. And those are the sorts of things we're going to have to, to, to bargain with. And we've seen what Donald Trump is like when he, 
when he does. I mean, his his definition of a good deal is one where he gets it over on somebody, where he where he makes a fool of somebody. I think you've made your I think you've made your point very clearly. I'd like to just briefly go back to Ray. Ray, what do you say to those issues about uh, uh, about our standing in the world if we're not in the EU? Okay, I'll put aside all the rash assumptions that were made there, which are just a result of project fear um, is not the case. We are the fifth largest economy in the world and we've now got more manufacturing in this country than we had back in 1975. It's just a smaller uh, percentage of our GDP than it was then. So we do have a very strong economy and we're in a very good uh, position to make good deals with the rest of the world if we want to. And it's for our politicians, oh Lord help us on that one, but it's for our politicians to say what they will or not not allow into the country. So if we want to have American drugs or American ways of doing things, then it's our decision. Okay, Nobody well, Ray, else's. thank you very much for that. I don't think it necessarily follows. There are better... Um, examples around the world than America all the time. OK, Ray, thank you very much indeed. And now to, uh, to East Dulwich and John Gordon. Uh, John, you're, we, we started off talking about the EU elections uh, and I think you've got something to say on that. Yes, indeed. The, the, the question is, what is, a, is an MP? And what is the commitment of an MP? I mean, the EU election is not about Brexit or UKIP. The candidate is to be selected based upon gaining the best deal for all the constituents and to strengthen their rights within the EU. Brexit and UKIP are demanding payment under duress. They're accepting payment for services tendered but not rendered. And to my mind, they should be taken to the European Court... I think this time, this election does seem to be being going to be fought very much on whether or not we stay in the EU because very many people voting in the election don't expect us to be in the EU very much longer. Yeah, but that, that, is, that is not the reason for the EU election. No, it may not be the reason for the EU and election across Europe, but, but in the UK it's very much being seen like that this time. I think you would agree. They... The thing is, they were told a load of lies to begin with in the first referendum. I mean, the people in charge of UKIP and, and, and the rest of them, they were saying that the, the government spent so many million putting pamphlets through the door. Well, people don't read pamphlets. What about the, the, the television in, in, uh, in, uh, in the popular time period when they put forward their... Sound bites. Indeed. Well, I think we have discussed that, uh, that quite, quite a few times before on the programme. But John Gordon, thank you very much indeed for your views. I'd like to, to talk now about uh, climate change because uh, the government, uh, we, we have actually uh, heard from Cambridge University that they're looking at ways that we can uh, reverse the environmental damage that we've done. Uh, Charles Board is in Cheltenham. Uh, Charles, what do you think about the climate change initiatives that have been proposed? Well, I'm more interested actually in the protests that have been made about, well, trying to force the government into doing something about it. We live in a democratic country. The government follows our wishes. It actually does, because if they start to lose seats, then they change their policies. If we were to reduce our road miles and our air miles, then I'm sure the government would... um, would, would, would help us along. So you think that we should be doing more as individuals? Yes, it's down to the individual. And what, what, I mean, are, you, what are you doing? Have you made any changes? 
Well, in 30 years of work, I've only um, commuted to work by car for a year and a half. I've always been environmental, but I'm also actually a Tory, so, you know, it's not just the lefties. Um, They're not mutually exclusive, are they? No, exactly, conservative, yeah. Um, I mean, I work from home. I don't use the car much. Most of my jobs are fairly local, so I can go and cycle to them. Mm -hmm. Um, We recycle, we don't fly, you know. I mean, we live in a sort of status-through-consumption society. We're surrounded by adverts that tell us we'll be happier, sexier, or whatever if we buy this. Um, I think that's a fundamental problem. OK, well, thank you very much indeed, Charles. I'd like to get on now to, to Jackie Mackling. Uh, Jackie, what do you think about, uh, about how, what we can do to help save the planet? Well, can I first say, I think the format of this programme tells us something. First of all, private education, loads of space. Brexit, loads of space. And then a quick squeeze in about climate change. I think there's a lot we can do without making ourselves miserable. And I agree with the previous caller. Not spending so much on trying to buy all the things we're told we need. I mean, I'm in my mid-70s now. I've been listening to the messages from people like Jonathan Porritt for decades. And I think... Why has nothing been done up until now? I, all I would say to people is, I mean, poorer people just have to struggle and life's a big problem for them. But I think the rest of us really need to take a damn good look at our lives and think, what am I doing? What am I doing? Don't feel that everything you're doing is too small to help with climate change because it isn't. But oh. I think it is up to us because it, it's, the government aren't going to take it really seriously until we keep pushing. Jackie, thank you very much indeed. We've had lots of emails uh, on this talking about uh, the various things that people have been doing to save the planet and, and on any answers uh, in the last uh, three weeks we have covered climate change. Uh, I'm sorry to everybody who has had uh, calls and texts that haven't been able to get uh, on air today. But thank you very much for everyone who's got in touch. And uh, if you didn't get on air this week, well, there is always next week. Thank you all for being with us on Any Answers.